One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 131. Today, we're back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and we are talking about the big leap, conquer your hidden fears and take your life to the next level, which is by Gay Hendricks. If you haven't listened to an episode of Making Good Book Club yet, here's the deal. Making Good has a book club. Once per month, my amazing book club co-host Sherelle and I discuss a book we think can help move the needle in your small business, and we share our takeaways specifically for small businesses. So let's get into this episode, which is all about the big leap. While this book is not technically a business book, but rather it's more of a self-improvement book, I definitely think it's worth a read for all small business owners. If you've listened to this podcast a while, you know that I talk a lot about mindset and how powerful it is in helping us achieve or not achieve our goals. And this book is really all about how we can face our fears, overcome what's called the upper limit problem and achieve our true potential by living in our zone of genius. In this book club episode, we talk about what the upper limit problem is and how to spot it, the four zones of competence, the power of spending most of your time in your zone of genius the hidden barriers that may be getting in your way, how to figure out what your zone of genius even is, and much, much more. Then at the very end of the episode, we announce our selected book for next month. So make sure to stay tuned for that as well. Just a quick reminder that if you want the updates on book club, you can sign up to be notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. Okay, so let's get into this month's book club episode about the big leap. Sherelle, welcome back to Making Good Book Club. Hello, thank you for having me back. I'm thrilled as always to have you back. This is one of my favorite things I get to do every month for the podcast. So um, we are digging into the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which I feel like has been kind of on our radar to discuss maybe since the beginning of the book club, really. So I am glad that we finally gotten to it. As I mentioned before we hit record, this is one of those books that's like really good. There's so much, there's so much to think hard about as a result of having read it. I have a little bit of a hard time kind of summing it up. So I told Sherelle, I was going to ask her to (laughs) sum up, like, what is this book about and why did we pick it? Yeah. So the big leap, first of all, I think it's important to like mention the subtitle where it talks about conquer your hidden fear and take life to the next level. And it's a book Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of business owners really resonate with. I think that's why actually it's been on our radar for quite a long time, because it's this idea of like actually conquering some of the fears that are like probably more subconscious, we're not aware of, but that are stopping us from taking like, like, 
taken the leap. And for business owners, we're doing this all the time. This idea of how do we push ourselves outside our comfort zone? And most importantly, how do you do that and then continue to move forward rather than you take the leap and then like we sort of self-sabotage and I bring ourselves back. So it's this idea about confidently facing fear and then continuing to moving forward through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think why maybe you and I picked this book for a business book club is that we're both really conscious of the role that like the way that our minds are working plays on the results that we experience. And this this book is really all about doing that work of like, what impact can we make on what goes on in our head and how what goes on in our head affects everything that we like, everything we experience in our lives, but certainly in our businesses. So yeah, it's this is a really, um, for those who followed along and read the book already, this is a really thought provoking one, I would say, like, definitely the kind of book where I have a bunch of like journaling prompts that I want to go through. I haven't yet, like as a result of having read it, because I just think there's, if you sit with it, like there's probably a lot of magic that can come out of it. So um, what is the big leap to you? Oh, to me, what do I think? I mean, I think it's sort of, I think it's funny because we'd think a lot of people, when you hear the big leap, we think of actually like starting our business and it's like, that's the big leap. But I actually take it to being anything that is, I suppose, massively pushing you outside of your current comfort zone that therefore you can physically, I would say I physically feel it when I'm trying to take that big leap. You know, when actually mm-hmm. you can feel it inside of you that you're like, this is we're not just pushing the edge like we're trying to cross over that line and actually in, in many ways then you can emotionally or physically feel it it's like this is pushing me outside my comfort zone I do not want to do it but obviously as business owners part a lot of what we end up doing is pushing ourselves out and that can be anything from first taking the leap possibly going from being um, employed to going self-employed and then everything from <laughs> putting something out on social media that's like really showing your true perspective and it's like really struggling you or creating something new and finally launching it and letting people have their verdict on whether it's good or bad like anything I think where you're just like for me it's about like exposure that's even the right way of putting it where I just feel mm-hmm. exposed and if I'm really like pushing myself out there yeah yeah I think you're using the word comfort zone he uses the term upper limit problem a lot in the book and the upper limit. And I actually wrote down a quote that he, or maybe this isn't word for word, but he used the analogy (laughs) of the upper limit program is like an inner thermostat basically, which is like, we have it. We don't realize this, but we, many of us at least have this setting internally of like, how much success are we capable of receiving how much love creativity how much of like the best things in life will we accept at this point and we don't realize it but like for many of us we've put a limit on that Mm -hmm. and so when things when we maybe start to experience things that are slightly above that something happens somehow where we kind of bring ourselves back down (laughs) to the upper limit problem to our upper limit so I think yeah to similar to a comfort zone, like a lot of being a business owner is finding ways to increase your upper limit or expand your comfort zone. Yeah. Go outside of your comfort zone. 
But I think the th- where I'd say like upper limit is different is because, as you said, it's about actually having that self-awareness about the cap we have put on ourselves. And actually, mm-hmm. whereas probably I think maybe we're all a little bit more aware when we push our comfort zone, like we know where that end is. I think actually sometimes, and he, he talks about it a bit further in the book, where about how if we cross over that level, we can self-sabotage ourselves. Is because sometimes our upper limit is actually a subconscious thing rather than a conscious thing. And we we might not even know that we've made a decision that actually I'm only able to be this successful. I'm only allowed to see this much love. And so it's only once we've gone over it that then we we then will self-sabotage it. Something We'll do something to like pull it back because we've moved over that limit. But it, actually it's not quite necessarily always the same for people as with the comfort zone where you might feel it as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, the upper limit is kind of like invisible until your awareness is brought to it. Another, so the the upper limit is a concept that comes from this book that I think has gained a lot of popularity and I've certainly heard people talk about it outside of just this book. <laughs> like I, I knew yeah. of the concept before having read it. The other concept that I feel like is very was very popularized by this book was the different zones. Um, And maybe I'll just share what the zones are. And then do you want to explain your take on like how (laughs) the zones relate to the upper limit? Oh yeah. Um, So he describes there are basically four different zones that we can operate at when it comes to, I think for the purposes of this conversation, when it comes to the work that you do in your business as a business owner. So there's the zone of incompetence. That is like the stuff that you're not good at that everyone else is like much better at. And, you know, we should basically not be doing anything in this zone. There's the zone of competence, which is like, okay, you can do it just as well as the average person, but you're nothing special. There's the tasks that fall into your zone of excellence. So this is stuff that you are especially good at. You're better than most. And this tends to be a very dangerous place because it's easy to get stuck in here and be like, oh, well, this is what I'm good at. I'm spending, I'll just, you know, I should do this. Or um, this is what other people ask me to do because I'm good at it. So we run the risk of spending most of our time and work time in the zone of excellence without like putting some conscious thought and effort into it. Whereas the zone of genius is really where we should aim to be spending as much time as possible. The tasks that are in our zone of genius are things that we are especially uniquely good at. Um, And this is where these, the tasks in the, in our zone of genius are going to bring us the most success and also satisfaction because things in this zone are things that are like really aligned with what we love and what we care about. So those are the different zones. And he spends a good amount of the book talking about like aim, we should be aiming to spend as much time as possible, especially when it comes to our work in our zone of genius, in the Mm -hmm. things that we are maybe not better than everyone in the world, at, but better than the vast (laughs) majority of people at. Um, my, what I would love your help kind of tying together, Sherelle, is like, how do these zones relate to the upper limit? So I think my take is that for, it can depend on the person. So actually the upper limit problem in terms of what you set your thermostat 
could exist at multiple points. Like it wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's not between the zone of um, incompetence, competence. I would feel like you said in the book where it talks about this idea of like zone of excellence, a lot of people end up having their um, upper limit set at that level of excellence. So to go over to the zone of genius, that really feels as if like it's it's too much. And he talks in the book about because of some of the barriers. So he talks about like how we have these like hidden barriers and that's what will stop us from like wanting to cross over to the upper limit. And I think one of them talks about like feeling fundamentally flawed. And I feel like that thing about like excellent to genius it's even the word genius for lots of people feels very like not powerful, but like it, it puts a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of expectation mm-hmm. that goes along with the term. And so they feel much more comfortable being in their zone of competence, in their zone of excellence. Yeah, cool. I'm great here. I can deal with that. But this idea of if you're trying to go into your zone of genius and own, I think as well, that level of genius, I think particularly like as business owners to really put yourself out there to say like, I'm possibly like better than someone else at that. Or like, you know, you've raised your prices to reflect the quality of the work you do or something. Actually, then you can start to hit these barriers such as like feeling fundamentally flawed and just like, actually, I don't deserve that status. So I, I, can't, I can't be doing that. And that's then a reason why you're like, I pull yourself back down into an area where you're just more comfortable, which could be either a zone of excellence or a zone of competence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one, I think there's either one or two other hidden barriers. So one of them is about like disloyalment and abandonment. And this idea that if you move up, that it has an impact about the people around you. Um, And so we can feel that as we're moving up and there is a status that is attached to these like increase, that then you feel like either you could be disloyal to the people around you, disloyal to your roots, or the reverse is that you feel that people will abandon you. And in both of those situations, that goes against like how we're made. Like, we, you know, we were animals that survived by being with other people. We're meant to be with people. That's how like our brains are programmed. And so we were like, we don't want to sabotage that. So we will be like, I don't want to do anything that's going to make me stand out. And obviously part of zone of genius is you stand out, you become a loner, you become someone that's like creating a new path and forging a new way. So again, mm-hmm. that might be another reason why then you self-sabotage yourself to bring yourself back down into your zone of excellence or competence. Yeah, yeah. So these hidden barriers, we've talked about a couple of them. They're about things that might be stopping us from or might be helping create this upper limit, really, and might be stopping us from moving into our zone of genius. Um, so Sherelle mentioned the feeling that we're just flawed somehow and the disloyalty and abandonment The other two are, um, there's one that is basically believing that more success (laughs) is a bigger burden. So this is really, to me, all about like just fear of success, fear of the things that come with being successful, like all of the, I don't know, all the things you'll have to deal with and manage if you become more successful. And the fourth hidden barrier is about outshining others. So this is similar to me as the second one, but it's about, um, you know, a a lot of, a lot of these hidden barriers have to do with things that maybe happened growing up or like when we were younger. And so the examples that he gives about outshining others, a lot of them is about like, if your parents (laughs) um, kind of didn't want you to like 
stand up and above and out and kind of outdo your siblings. And that was kind of un or I guess discouraged or um, if you were shining more brightly than others, like that was kind of dulled somehow to make, not make other people feel bad. Some people will kind of grow up with this kind of keeping that with them and not, not ever wanting even as an adult to be out doing the people around them because they don't want them to feel bad. So um, the four hidden barriers again, which he's, he kind of feels like most of us are probably going to resonate with one of these. At least he's, he identified with two of them, but they're feeling fundamentally flawed, not wanting to be disloyal or abandoned where you came from, believing that more success means a bigger burden and for outshining others. Yeah. Um, can I put you on the spot and ask <laughs> you if like, did you notice if any of these really resonated with you? Yes, it's definitely not four. I'm an only child. I have no problem outshining anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when you talk about that one, I was like, oh no, that's not my problem, is it? Like always been the one. I think to be fair, I feel like I can resonate with one, two and three. Like I feel mm-hmm. that the um I definitely for a fair while in my business really had that thing about what success and the burden, that idea of like more success means more burden. Like the whole thing about more money means more problems. Like that's definitely been something that actually like I've been trying to like untangle um, and reframe yeah. my, my mindset work anyway. Um, and I feel as if like, fun, like feeling fundamentally flawed has been something that has been a lifelong bit of work. I think definitely I have feelings of just like, yeah, well, there is, I'm not right for success and it's not meant for me. And I, you know, there's the whole thing about like enough people that are like representation wise and all that type of stuff. That's definitely made me think, oh, it's not meant for me. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, so yeah, I definitely, I, I can see as well with all four of them um, from like being with other business owners, how they right. are such reoccurring problems, if that makes sense. Like, even though you, so like you said, I imagine everyone listening will find one, if not more that does resonate because they, they really are quite common themes. So what, which ones are your ones? <laughs> me, um, definitely number one. And I feel like that for me shows up as like imposter syndrome a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, when something great happens, I'm like, well, that was mis- like, you know, that could have been anyone or, you know, mm, just yeah. sort of like that. Um, this must be a fluke kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I would say that's the biggest one. Um, and maybe to an extent, like more success, bigger burden. Like I, I can kind of, I feel like I do have that. Mm. like do you have it like you know in terms of, like your shop and having a team and having like a building and stuff as you were doing all that did it make mm-hmm. you feel as if the bigger you got there's more things you'd have to deal with <laughs> yeah and like that's been true um <laughs> you know it wasn't a lie it wasn't a made-up myth <laughs> yeah like and and I have noticed I guess another thing is just like one of the things about being a small business owner when it's early days and you're doing so many different things is like, I have a hard time at this point staying 70% or more in my zone of genius because there are so many things that have to get done that like are not Mm -hmm. in my zone of genius. Yeah. I try to stay as close, as far away from the zone of incompetence as possible. But even there, like I don't necessarily think I'm a great manager, but like, that's just, and I you know I do my best but like that's (laughs) that's I think not 
like I don't excel. I don't love, I don't, you know, it's like, it's just not, it's not at the top, but it is something that at this point I'm doing. So that's, that's one of the struggles I have with this whole thing. It's just like, yeah, I want to be in my zone of genius 70% of the time, but like, I actually don't see how that's possible for me. <laughs> that's a really interesting point though. And I think that'd be really valuable to like for other people to hear. Cause actually mm-hmm. by you building a team that in many, like that is, you know, to help the business to be more successful and help the business to grow. And you would argue that normally there is a lot of messages online that are said like to spend more time in your zone of genius outsource, 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 outsource everything else. And actually no one really does talk about the fact that then, but about if outsourcing means then you have a team that yeah. you don't think team management is actually one of your zone of geniuses. So actually you're putting a new thing on your plate. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's really an interesting concept actually. Like I'm really glad you shared that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and I think a lot of people will talk about the concept of having an integrator, mm-hmm. which is um, basically someone who translates everything that like the visionary or the like leader of the business wants to do into action. So like, that's kind of my ideal at some point is to hire someone whose job is kind of to, to manage basically. And so that, you know, she and I, or he and I, or they and I interface together and make the plan. Um, but that I can step back a little bit from the managing because I just, yeah, I, it's not, it's definitely not my zone of genius. So that's been an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, it's not worth not doing for me. So no, and I, I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, books are, I, they try and set these idealistic things. And I think there are some very good points around the fact that if we stay in our zone of competence or excellence, it can stop us from achieving the maximum that we could um like you know if we just stay in that realm because it, it makes us safe that we never push ourselves but i'm sure we could find some examples of you where yes having the team might have pushed you into doing some things that you're not great at but it may have still freed you up in some way shape or form to give you more time totally. for a genius and therefore that's the payoff yeah it reminds me of this concept of something that my partner shared with me that i guess she learned in like a biology class or something but it's um you can't do just one thing. So anything you do is going to have more than one impact. Maybe one of the impacts is positive or what you want, but like, no matter what, there's going to be these other kind of externalities or other consequences of anything you do. So yeah, that's, that's, that's been true for me for sure. Um, The next part of the book was really about how to spot the upper limit problem in your life, like how to see symptoms essentially that you may be bumping up against your upper limit. Um, And some of these are worry, like when you find yourself excessively worrying all the time, that might be a sign that um, you're basically kind of distracting yourself. Um, Criticism and blame deflecting squabbling and this is interesting getting even getting sick and hurt yeah he found that for some people is a sign of bumping up against your upper limit and i actually see that getting sick and getting hurt one 
uh, like surprisingly a lot in the business world. <laughs> um, lots mm-hmm. of people seem to like, we'll talk about like doing like really big launches and then like having their best income month ever or whatever. And then they end up getting ill. And someone might argue it's because they push themselves too hard with whatever the launch is. Right. And then that's the repercussion they burnt out. Burn out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But not always. There definitely seems to be people that's like actually, and this idea of like, cause it's just a complete retraction of like, you've pushed yourself. I suppose also the thing about launches is it can be um, massively different to what you've had in previous months. So, you know, like if you're building up to something rather than like if you've just had normally quite a stable income and then like maybe like if you're someone that has like a Christmas product and then you have like a real big peak. But yeah, this idea that actually something good happens and then the reverse is in your body. Because as we said, for some people, it's such a physical emotion that part of your body is just like, nah, and shuts down. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the other ones I thought was interesting in terms of these symptoms of the upper limit problem is squabbling. And, he, and this is basically like when you're just arguing with someone, it could be like a business partner or a relationship, whatever it is. But he had this question that he asked people to think about, which I thought was really smart which is, would you be willing to consider that this conflict may not be what you think it's about? Yes. So (laughs) a lot of times when we get into these like drama, whatever it is, like drama with some other person, it's actually not even close to about what, what we're actually arguing about. It's about something much deeper or more meaningful that we just, it's scary to kind of peel back the layers and get to that. So I loved that question of just like, just that prompt to think about like, maybe this is about something beyond like the superficial topic that's at hand right now. Yeah. And I think because he talks at some point about the fact that like arguments are about money and never normally about money. (laughs) And like, Mm -hmm. actually there's something else going underneath. And that, you know, this is, that's what like Lauren, you were saying about the beginning, like this is a book that pushes you to think and it's like, actually questioning our reactions question our actions like why are we doing this and not just taking everything on the like surface level of just like it is what it is but actually really trying to understand what our motives and our reasons are underneath our actions mm-hmm. totally and there was another bit in this part where he talks about the three p's and these were like the reasons and like the driving forces behind why we like do some of these actions. And so we talked about punishment, prevention and protection. So sometimes if we've gone up into our upper limit and we've gone past it, then we will be trying to punish ourselves. And that's why like we might, our body might make ourselves ill. Sometimes it can be prevention to stop us from going further <laughs> um, in terms mm-hmm. of being like, actually, if we're on, if we're on a path, we could do some of these. And even like, if you think about, like you were saying about squabbling and arguing and all these things, it's like, this may stop you from then continuing to go forward. And then protection again is, that's like one of our biggest natural things. Our body always wants to be trying to protect ourselves. And so anything that he thinks is going to, if the, the move has made it feel more vulnerable, then, you know, making yourself ill will probably mean then you have to stop doing that work and you have to like sit at home or whatever. Then it's like, I'm protecting you. Like I'm going to do something that's going to stop you. Mm-hmm. So this is how I'm going to do it. So yeah, I thought that was just good in terms of being like, am I punishing myself or am I just trying to protect myself? Because I think that's quite a, like, I think some people, when we when they talk about some of these, like the way we sabotage it, people's brains and people's bodies are normally are wired in different ways. And I think noticing if you do feel as if it's like, yeah, 
whether like really trying to know if it's if it is protection it's like you know you're just trying to do something really good and like so you can work from that angle versus punishment of being like actually what I've achieved is too amazing and so now I'm going to push myself for it like they come from a different mindset perspective right yeah yeah I didn't even write that down it's always (laughs) so interesting to see what we take away um but great great point I think that's really smart to think about the final part of this section was about discovering your story. So maybe just some questions that might help you start to reflect on some of these topics around what might be preventing you from reaching your potential. And I'll just share those prompts and I'll put them in the show notes too, just because I think they are important questions. But um, the prompts that he gives were for you to ask yourself, where do I feel out of integrity with myself? What is keeping me from feeling complete and whole? What important feelings am I not letting into my awareness? Where in my life am I not telling the full truth? Where in my life have I not kept my promises? And in my relationship with, insert name of person, what do I need to say or do to feel complete and whole? So I noted some other kind of journaling questions throughout the book, but I thought these were really kind of smart ones to start thinking about, you know, where, where are we getting in our own way or sabotaging ourselves from reaching what we're capable of? Yeah. And I think if for anyone, if you haven't really done like this type of journaling work before, um, or any of these types of like mindset work, then like, don't be too harsh on yourself. I think when we start to try and pull this stuff out, it can feel, it can feel quite hard. Like it's quite interesting now. Cause I think I originally read this book probably like six seven years ago mm-hmm. and now like reading those quick like I remember thinking the first time probably like oh my gosh whereas now because of, <laughs> I have such a, more of a common journey practice they seem like you know quite normal prompts now but I remember the time being like this is a lot like we're trying to ask ourselves questions that the average person does not ask themselves at all right um and so yeah if it makes you feel uncomfortable if you're you know like there's any like emotions and feelings around doing it like embrace that and just like don't feel as if you have to answer all of them in one go. Like it is a practice that takes time. And every single time you answer these types of questions, you'll find more. <laughs> I know I still keep finding yeah, more. I think that's such an interesting point. Like this is not the kind of work that the average person does. No. And he makes that point a few times in the book about like um, evolutionarily, like we have not adapted to kind of like live in our upper like beyond our upper limit like a lot of our evolutionary impulses are to like protect ourselves and keep us with the pack and all of these different like kind of things that are designed to protect us but are less needed just in the current world that we live in so all of this work is really difficult and so I think yeah great point to mention that because it is yeah it's hard and it's intense and um yeah and it can bring up a lot of stuff as well that's the thing I think and especially if you're doing it on your own you don't necessarily have like someone else to like be able to talk that through with it it can be heavy yeah yeah um so the next part of the book I think is my favorite which is about (laughs) um building a new home in your zone of genius And this is all about really figuring out what is your genius and how can you incorporate it into your life in a way that is of service to yourself and or others. Um, And he says, 
discovering your zone of genius is your life's big leap. So this is really the work to me. This is like the big part of the book. Um, a prompt here that he asks is if he's, he shares a story about a, basically a college reunion he went to. Um, he went to Stanford for his PhD and he went to some reunion many years out of graduating where half the people there were like practicing therapists and half of them worked in academia and mm. no one was happy really <laughs> essentially they all were like oh i wish i was doing the other thing or like bureaucracy or whatever everyone was really dissatisfied with their current state and so he said he asked everyone if outside influences weren't an issue what would you really love to be doing and this is kind of the question i feel like that is the starting point of figuring out what where your zone of genius might be. Yeah. Um, I also had the question that was, if money weren't a problem, what would you really love to be doing? Mm-hmm. So it's the same yeah. thing about like, let's take away what we feel we should be doing, whether that's because of other people or whether because we think we need to do it for monetary reasons. And just be like, if we were totally free, <laughs> what would you really love to be doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he identifies what he calls the genius questions, and these are kind of the bridge to your zone of genius, he describes. And he uses the word like, yes, ask yourself these questions, but come at it from a point of like wondering. He likes the word wonder, which I think is really interesting. Mm. Like there's no right answer, like approaching it with curiosity instead of like, I'm going to get this exactly right is probably the better approach. But the four questions that you can ask yourself are number one, what do I love most to do? Meaning you love it so much. You can do it for strong, long stretches of time without getting tired or bored. Number two, what work do I do that doesn't seem like work? You can do it all day without ever feeling tired or bored. Number three in my work, what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to amount of time spent. So even if I do only 10 seconds or a few minutes of it, an idea or a deeper connection may spring forth that leads to huge value. And finally, number four, what is my unique ability? So there's a special skill that we're all gifted with. This unique ability fully realized and put to work can provide enormous benefits to me and any other organization I serve. (laughs) Yes. One interesting thing I really liked about this fourth question was he described it as kind of like a Russian doll type of question where oftentimes maybe your first answer to this is not is not as specific as you can get. So mm-hmm. he used an example in the book of someone who said that their unique ability was like they they're really effective at running meetings. But when he dug with more questions to get like, what, what is it that makes you so good or enjoy that so much? And ultimately it was about like the person was really good at kind of sensing energy and knowing what, how to manage groups of people. Mm. Um, So in terms of articulating your superpower or your genius, a couple more things to think about are like, I'm at my best when blank and then when I'm at my best the exact thing I love doing the exact thing I'm doing is blank and when I'm doing that the thing I love most about it is blank so essentially just encouraging you to really dig into 
whatever comes up for you as your unique ability or your genius, like try to go deeper. Probably the first thing that comes to mind is just kind of the surface level of it. Yeah. Yeah. I also really like this bit where you were finding your genius before you asked the question. So he like encourages the reader to like make a commitment. And the commitment was like, I commit to living in my zone in genius now and forever. And I just thought it's actually a real, like just a declaration to try and be like, this is what I'm going to do. Cause I think, as you said, so many people never do it at all. And like, if you've listened this long on the podcast now, I'm like, you know, you, you clearly are interested enough in the book to be like, actually, this is what I'm committed to doing. And I know that if I'm able to stay full from that commitment and, you know, break through that upper limit and not let it myself sabotage myself, then actually like there's so much joy, abundance, wealth, success, all the other things on the other side of it. And so making that commitment to get there, even if right now mm-hmm. you don't have the answer to that question. So the next chapter yeah. is about living in your genius. And we, so this is all about like, after you've identified it, how do you kind of incorporate this into your life? Um, and he offers something he calls the ultimate success mantra. Um, and this is interesting. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I haven't used this mantra. Um, I am open to it, but I would be interested to hear from you, Sherelle. But the mantra is basically, this is something that you, you can meditate on. You can use like formally in meditations, but also informally, like throughout the day, if you kind of just need to remind yourself to get your mind on the right track. But the mantra is, I expand in abundances, success, and love every day as I inspire those around me to do the same. And so the benefits of this mantra are that it reminds you to expand rather than contract, like just literally the word expand. I think it's a good reminder. And then it directly counters the upper limit problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think about... I like it, but I never used it. <laughs> That's definitely for sure. I didn't, I've not even underlined it in the book or got a post-it note by it. So clearly this is one of those moments where you noticed it and I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I can understand, like, like it resonates with me. And actually, like, especially as someone that's like, I, the work I do, I directly like do it with solopreneurs. And so I want, and I want them to be successful in their business. So I think that idea of like, I inspire those around me to do the same, like I really resonate with it, but it definitely wasn't something that I have practiced in my own life at all. Yeah, same. But but one of the like the other things in the chapter which I would say I actually have practiced in my life much more is around the idea of the enlightened no. And so his idea mm-hmm. about when you turn down something that doesn't fit into your zone of genius, it's not just a no, that's an enlightened no because you're purposefully trying to make sure that you're not going into one of those other zones. And I think that is something that um like I, I really have done in the past. So even this thing about when you, definitely I think when you're like early in your business and like as a service provider and someone tries to ask you to do something which I can do, <laughs> like, you know, there's been plenty of things in my marketing sphere that I can do, but I'm like, that's not really what I want to do anymore. And it's definitely not my zone of genius in terms of like, if we think about the Russian dolls and all that, like going deeper and deeper. So actually being like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that. So then, then you're leaving the space to do the work that you truly are trying to do, which is in that zone of genius. And I I think that idea is something I 
have practice and and just really reflect what I try and say to other people. Like I think it's so easy for us to when we can do other things. It's easy when, particularly if you are like a service provider to fall back into your area of excellence and competence if someone's like, oh, can you just do this? And you can do it. It's just, that's not your zone of genius. So you should say an enlightened no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think this is something that like very obviously relates to service providers, but also product-based businesses. For me, I can remember like, the point when I really stopped doing so much custom work because kind of by definition, custom work is like whatever someone else wants you to do. Yeah. (laughs) And like that, I don't know, at least in my case, it was, it was always kind of outside of my zone of genius or like even zone of what I loved. So the point where I started shifting away from taking on things people asked me to do just because they were going to pay me for it and kind of, like you say, making space for what's in your zone of genius or for what is really your priority. I think there's, there's a lot of room for all of us probably to do this. Um, And I would also say there's times too in business where like you do need the cash, you know? And so (laughs) there's a time and place for all of this. Um, If I don't think either of us is suggesting that if you need the revenue that you turn it down just because you're not, you know, it's not in the right zone at that moment. But um, if you're in a place where you can say no in to create the space for things that are actually going to light you up and help you live up to your potential, I think that's a really good concept to be thinking about. The final thing in this chapter was just the concept of renewing and refining commitment. He said that his wife likes to say that The art of commitment is really the art of recommitment, which I really loved because it just kind of gives, I don't know, to me, at least in that I get permission to not be perfect. (laughs) You know, like if you commit to something and you fall off a little bit, like, okay, just recommit and then keep going. Um, It's a little bit less of like the black and white thinking that I think is really easy to get stuck in. Like either I do it right or wrong. No, it's like, okay, I committed to this. I strayed a little bit eventually and then I recommitted and we're good. Yeah. So, and I think like that really then ties in well to like what you just said about, you know, you can't, depending on other factors, there might be times when you can't always say no. As I said, maybe financially at a point where you're like, I have to say yes. And you know, in your heart, you probably shouldn't be, but you're like this in this moment in time is something I've got to do, but you can make that recommitment afterwards to be like, that was a one-off. I think that's like what you were saying about it's not being black and white. It's not as if mm-hmm. you make one decision and then that's like the floodgates got to open and you've got to go back that way. In many cases, you can just do that as a one-off and then just keep back on track. Yeah, totally. Okay, so the next chapter is an interesting one. This one is about Einstein time, which is essentially about creating time to do things in your genius zone. Um, I'm going to be honest. I had a little bit of trouble with this one. It's really about like the concept at the heart of Einstein time is that you create time. Yeah. How do you feel about this one? Well, I think it's also this idea that time is a, it can feel different. Do you know what I mean? Like in time. So you know how we say like, when you're loving something, 
time goes really fast when you're hating it, you can go really slow um like i think like your idea of like we make the time it sort of um reminds me about that like it's not this fixed rigid an hour is an hour but actually if you manage to get in your zone of genius and i think it to me it sort of connects with this concept that's like in flow this idea like when you're in flow then everything comes real easy and so if you manage to make that space to be in Einstein time and you are actually in your zone of genius the amount you can producing it is is much more than possibly you would think if like when you're looking at it from a very like logical rational time perspective yeah he compares something he calls Newton's paradigm of time, which is the concept that there's a finite amount of time and we need to like carefully organize it so we can fit in everything we need to do. Um, With this time is scarce and there's always urgency um, in this model of time, which is kind of how most of us naturally operate. We, it's kind of like us against time, right? Like, can you get everything done? Like how? Einstein, on the other hand, explains like relativity of time, which is like, like you said, Sherelle, he uses the expression, an hour with your beloved feels like a minute, a minute on a hot stove feels like an hour. So this I get, like how we can perceive time differently. Um, I guess I'm struggling with like, how can you make as much time as you need? (laughs) But we can't, he's a liar. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) <laughs> is he, he, you know he's trying to be optimistic what is it when people say like he's trying to be optimistic and positive but the reality is we've got 24 hours a day and that that's the fact of it but i suppose it's about i would say partially about our attitude i think there's a yeah there's also this theory if we if we were to put it like this like he said about if we have an hour with our loved one if it, it can you know it feels different to a minute on a hot stove if we are doing work in our zone of genius and we feel good and we're doing work that we enjoy that shouldn't be time that feels that same burden on us and I think like you know like when we think I I think about quite a lot when people talk about like work-life balance I'm like we feel the strain more when the work feels really hard and it feels like burden that's when you like you feel like that balance you've got to get more but it's like actually if Mm -hmm. you are getting joy out of the work because you put yourself in your zone of genius and you're doing stuff that's like meant to be like your calling basically, isn't it? It's your purpose, whatever, that he's like, this will feel great. And therefore the mentality around time and trying to balance everything changes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Like your attitude toward time. Um, one of the key things he says is like, to shift toward Einstein time, one of the key actions you can take is just to stop complaining about time. <laughs> like, make a con- And I definitely, I have that. I'm trying to work on that one. I do have that as a thing where I say, like, I don't have enough time. And I'm like, Chappelle, you have more than enough time to complete everything you want to do. <laughs> but I still yeah. catch myself saying it. So it's definitely um, takes time to work it out, to get it right and to stop worrying, thinking that way. Because we just live in a world where people say, I'm busy. I don't have enough time. That's like the default. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I really like this concept of Einstein time. I guess I'm still a little rusty on like, how do we actually apply it? Aside from like, don't complain about time. So listener, if you understood this better than I did, (laughs) I would love your tips. Like, how do you kind of shift into Einstein time? Like he has the quote, since I'm the producer of time, I can make as much as I need of it. And I'm like, well, how? So let me know. DM me if you if you understood this better than I did. <laughs> um, the last chapter is about relationships. And um, it talks about how oftentimes successful people have bad personal relationships. What Did you have any big takeaways from this? I probably this just like section? skipped through the whole thing because I'm single and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm probably a classic. I literally have been like, la da da la da da Like, if I, do I need, I need a person to have to care about that. I'm quite bad sometimes, you know, in the book, this chapter reads and associate with you that you're just like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'll, be that, I'll be that person, won't I, where it says what well, his study was, I mean, it wasn't that in-depth of a study. It was... 437 successful people just for some context yeah I think the con like the his takeaway of why oftentimes successful people have trouble in their personal relationships really has to do with the upper limit problem and just being like there's only so much like positivity and like good essentially that most of us feel capable of of Mm. of taking on without consciously working on the upper limit problem. So he had a few tips for successful people in close relationships. The tips that I wrote down were to take time for yourself, to prioritize speaking the microscopic truth. So this is like just really speaking out what you're feeling. Like, I'm sad. I'm scared. I'm angry. Um, The third tip was don't try to talk yourself or your partner out of emotions like incorporate touch, bring yourself to ground in a positive way and cultivate friends with whom you can form an upper limit conspiracy. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which I really like that. Yeah. I think good tips, but maybe not super relevant <laughs> to business owners. Unless you have a business partner, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. And if you have a partner in life, but not in business, because like you said, it can be your focus too much on your business and not on your life. So this was trying to round us back out because the book obviously isn't just for business owners. Like actually, it's meant to be about achieving in all six parts of our life. And obviously for a lot of people, that is about having a fulfilling relationship. So you don't want to like impact that yeah. based on other things that you're doing. Totally. In sum, I would say that my big takeaway from this book is that we have a tendency to kind of sabotage ourselves when we're bumping up against the capacity that we think we're capable of. And so it takes conscious kind of thought work and energy to intentionally let ourselves move beyond our upper limit and not kind of, again, let our, let our inner thermostat bring us back down. Um, I would say that's my one of my takeaways. And the second one is really just thinking through like you're like, I really want to spend some time kind of journaling on the zone of genius activity because I think I have kind of a nebulous sense of it for me, but definitely not a clear one. So that would be something I want to work on. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree. I definitely have do not say that I found what my zone of genius is at all. And I think that idea of like doing the Russian doll, breaking it down further and further and further. And also really like if I'm going to be brutally honest, which is it's something sometimes that can't be done theoretically. Like actually it's when we're doing activities when we're doing stuff that you might realise, actually I prefer this to that. And then you're like, okay, so that mm-hmm. move shifts you a little bit further. And I think sometimes, and I'm like, I am a planner and I'm a writer and a journaler and all those, like I'm definitely that logical side. But I think sometimes this is something that will uncover itself over time if you are aware whilst you're working. I think like mm-hmm. actually listen to the signals of what is bringing you joy. When do you feel the best? And move and like that's why I think like you know when people end up like pivoting and pivoting, it's just like this little shuffle. It's like a shuffle. Like oh, this is I like this bit. I like this a bit more. And that's why like some people when they niche and it gets like refined and refined down. So if you're someone that's literally sitting there thinking I have no idea, like don't worry. Like actually, you don't need to be in your zone of genius today. You just need to be having uh, like that commitment statement to get there and to stay there. And I think in terms mm-hmm. of the like self, the upper. For me, the upper limit problem, actually more than crossing it, is staying above it. I think that awareness that we can all have a moment of fluke. So that, I mean, Lauren, when you spoke like about feeling, I suppose, like a bit of an imposter syndrome, to me, mm-hmm. that normally happens when you've got like, you've had an opportunity and then like, so someone might say like, you know, oh, you can come and speak at this event. And then you're like, oh, I'm not good enough to speak at that. Or someone like it's when the opportunity comes that then you're like, oh, this is too big. And I think Mm -hmm. actually I definitely feel this, that idea of if you cross it and then you can contract back down. And like, for me, I suppose my big takeaway is being able to cross it and stay above it. So whether Mm -hmm. not like keeping that expansion going rather than doing the natural thing, which is to contract and return back to the lovely world that you're used to and that you feel you deserve, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the usage in this book of the words like expansion and contraction, because I feel like they're really visceral, Mm -hmm. you know, like I immediately know what it means to contract when it comes to like an upper limit. And it sounds like you do too. And probably hopefully our listeners connect with that as well. So just kind of always having in mind and keeping close to you this this aspiration, I guess, to just constantly be expanding and not contracting. If you could give one takeaway or one action step for our listeners, what would you say? To actually map out. So like the, I, I did like a little triangle, like a pyramid where I had like zoning, competence, competence, excellence, and genius and start to fill it in. So even if you feel like you haven't maybe got all of the genius, like you haven't worked that bit out, most of us could be pretty competent of looking at what our time is spent on right now and being like, how much am I spending in incompetence? How much of time is incompetence and how much is in excellent? And then looking at how can I actively start to change these percentages? Because obviously the ideal is to get to genius, but I think even if as a business owner, you are making the effort to spend as much time as possible, even in excellence, you're going to put yourself in such a better place. Um, and then obviously, hopefully over time, you, you'll discover what your genius is and you can move into it. But I think this trying to get rid of as much as possible is feasible, like, you know, thinking about what you said, Lauren, about one thing opens another door, but trying as much to get into a world of 
being in the zone of excellence as much as possible. But you can only do that when you have the awareness of how you're spending your time right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really good. I think that was also my main one was to really spend some time, you know, thinking through your zone of genius in particular. And there are, again, great questions in the book to kind of prompt you with that. And I will put them in the show notes as well. Um, the other, if I, if I'm going to try to give you a little bit, something different from what Sherelle said, I think the other thing that I would just encourage is that process of continuously recommitting, Mm -hmm. um, I think is really a powerful takeaway for me of just like, you know, we like, if you make this commitment in the beginning to living in your zone of genius and, um, moving toward that wherever you are now, like moving, starting to move toward it, allowing yourself to like, you know, when you stray a little bit, like continuously recommit and move back toward it. Um, I think to me, I've just noticed that my, my life tends to be a series of like, just, you know, (laughs) continuously recommitting and becoming, I'm okay with that. You know, like it's not all linear. So he uses the word spiral, which I think is a good one. Like you get closer and then a little bit further away, but then the next time you go around, you're even closer. So (laughs) just allowing yourself to continuously recommit and um, do things imperfectly. I'm not sure that's like language that he used, but like that's language I'm going to use. So, (laughs) well, this is a good one. It's a deep lots one. Lots to think about. It <laughs> yes, is. Lots to think about. This is definitely, I think like some of those we've read have been much more like maybe practical and sort of like you could probably read once, get the keynotes and then like leave it. Whereas this is definitely, as I said, like this is a book I've probably had on my bookshelf for seven years. I've definitely pulled the journaling prompts out from time to time. And it's one that does, you're not going to get through all the prompts in one day. Like it is something about like write them down, spend some time and give yourself the space to not have all the answers straight away. Mm-hmm. Well, keep us posted, listener. If you go through some of this, we'd love to hear from you. Sherelle, would Do you me- like to share our next book? Our next book is... Drumroll. The War of Art. Is that the right way around? <laughs> yeah, The War of Art <laughs> by, by Stephen Pressfield. Yes, which I am... Um, Super excited to be reading. This is one of those books that people have for years been saying to read and I've never read it. So I'm so, so excited to read it and then come back and chat to you all about it. Have you started it yet? I have started. It's it's instantly here. So I've been having good times in the sunshine reading it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Like I I can absolutely see why I should have picked it up ages ago. (laughs) Yeah. But there's too many books in the world, so you can't get through everything all the time. I am. Well, yes, especially I feel like no one has more books on their list than you do. I am really excited to revisit this one. Um, And I just want to give a teaser to folks who may not have heard of this book. But one of the big concepts in this book is the idea of resistance Mm -hmm. and how that's something that comes up in the creative process of like, you know, you want to do something or you might even be starting to work on it. But there's something Like there's this resistance that's getting in the way. It stops us a lot of the time. And so a lot of the book is really about examining that. And I haven't read this in years, but like I think about this concept of resistance all the time. And it's been like a really helpful takeaway for me. So 
I can't wait to reread it. I hope that if you're listening, you will give it a shot no matter what kind of business you have. It really applies to anyone who's creating something new and, you know, just kind of goes into some of the struggles that go with that. So I can't wait for this one. I'm really excited. Yeah. Well, hopefully you said, hopefully it will be applicable to everyone. So grab a copy, have a listen and come back to hear our thoughts. Yay. Well, thank you so much, Sherelle. This has been an awesome one and looking forward to next time. Okay. So much to think about from this book. I've made note of most of the journaling prompts from the book, and you can find them in the show notes at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 131. Sherelle and I both want to hear from you. What did you think of this book and our takeaways? Connect with us on Instagram. Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith. That's C-H-A-R-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. And I'm at Lauren Tilden. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N. As we mentioned in the episode, we've also now announced the book we're covering for next month's book club. Next month's book is The War of Art, Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles by Stephen Pressfield. As we mentioned in the episode, this book is really about the concept of resistance, how to spot it, how to break through it. And I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite books ever. I cannot wait to chat about it next month. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can help give back to making good. First, I would be honored if you would leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, send them the link. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden. I'd love to connect and cheer you on. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time. Bye.